All right, folks, welcome to Pickaxe and Roll, brought to you by DraftKings Sportsbook, America's top-rated sportsbook app. I'm your host, Ryan Blackburn at NBA Blackburn on Twitter. It is Wednesday morning as I am recording this uh, close to 1 o'clock in the morning. I uh, got home pretty late, obviously after a late-night win over the Los Angeles Clippers. Nuggets win final score 127-115. The first word that came to mind when I was trying to process this game, talk about how I would be talking about this game to everybody, was cathartic, where there's been a lot of shit. There's been a lot of people talking online. There's been a lot of Denver losing. There's been Jamal Murray and Michael Porter Jr. updates that are looking not so good. Denver was in a pretty rough place. And after that Boston Celtics game, you knew that they were going to come out and try to respond. And they did. It's a great sign that a team like Denver has the capacity, has the capability to be able to go back to Ball Arena and just lay it on the Los Angeles Clippers. And I know that this game got close. I know that this was a tough one. The Clippers are always going to play Denver tough. They have some really good matchups. They only turn the ball over six times. Their game plan is always so fantastic. And they did a lot of good things. But Reggie Jackson shot six of 18 from the field. Marcus Morris shot six of 16 and was benched down the stretch for a better player in Robert Covington. And it just seems like Denver needed this win so much. Their starters needed the vibes. They needed the positive momentum after what was a shellacking on Sunday. So it's nice to see them come out and respond. Nice to see that in the face of all this adversity, in the face of the season that's winding down and may or may not be getting help, and there's a lot of questions about what this actually means, it's nice to see Denver take care of business. We'll talk about the starters in the first segment, the bench in the second segment, and then we'll go kind of all over the place in the third But first here, let's talk about the starters. And we got to start with Nikola Jokic, of course. And uh, every starter, I think, has some good positive things that I can say about them, which it's the first time in a long time that we've been really able to say that, other than the the Washington win. Nikola Jokic, only a plus 10 on the evening. He's the lowest of the starters, but that's because he overlapped with the bench more than any of them. 30 points on in 34 minutes, 9 of 15 from the field, 0 of 2 from 3, 12 of 13 from the free throw line. That's a really great stat. 14 rebounds, 6 assists, 2 steals, 3 blocks, just 1 turnover, did have 5 fouls. But being a plus 10 in a game against the Clippers where they've done such a great job in the past, and, and even tonight, of matching up with Jokic, making his life difficult, making it difficult on the Nuggets offense and trying to get him the ball, it was really good to see Jokic have a big game, to see the Nuggets play through him on a consistent basis and never relent in doing that, and to see in a close game how it sort of ended up was that Jokic was such a threat. He was such a distraction for the Clippers that it opened up a lot of lanes for everybody else in the fourth quarter, where you had Monte Morris hitting threes, Jeff Green hitting threes, Aaron Gordon getting dunks right at the right in front of Avisa Zubac. Uh, Will Barton hit a three. It's just good to see 
Denver's entire starting unit play well. It always starts with Jokic. Nobody's ever going to deny that. And Jokic tonight, I think, made a really good case for the MVP on national television. And that's always a great thing to see. Ivisa Zubac has six points and five rebounds. Uh, Hartenstein played really well. Isaiah Hartenstein was very, very good. 14 points, five, re- or five assists, two steals, two blocks, just very functional. But what Jokic was able to do was just really control the flow of the game pretty much every single time he was on the court. The Clippers tried a whole bunch of different things. They tried fronting him uh, with a smaller guy. They tried playing him straight up. They tried sending a late double. They tried uh, letting him go on an island. And for all intents and purposes, he beat down every single coverage. And in the shot opportunities that he did have, he made the most of them. 15 shots getting him to 30 points is just obscene. And it was just really good to see, after the Celtics loss, him bouncing back in that manner, playing with as much efficiency as anybody. He led both teams tonight in points, rebounds, assists, steals, and blocks. Now, he was tied in a couple categories. Don't get me wrong. Like Isaiah Hartenstein had two steals. Uh, Aaron Gordon had six assists. Uh, But for the most part... He led everybody in everything. And when you have a player that is that well-rounded and that all-encompassing, it's hard not to really gravitate towards what they did throughout the game. And what he did was his jump shot was just so buttery from the mid-range that it set up everything else for him, where he was able to drive to the rim, draw some fouls, make some tough contested shots over some lengthy defenders. And then he also played pretty good defense, where yes, There were a couple times where he was in drop coverage and it probably wasn't the right call and the and the Clippers found the pocket pass or they hit the mid-range jumper. It is what it is. The Nuggets were able to play really aggressive defense on the three-point line because they were in drop in a lot of those situations. And Jokic held up as well as he possibly could. Being a plus 10 in this game is not a small feat. And I know that Aaron Gordon was a plus 20. I know that Monte Morris was a plus 15 or 16, whatever. But I do think that it does symbolize that in the vast majority of Denver's time, they've been getting great production. And him being able to carry them in these situations has really just defined Denver's season in so many different ways that sometimes you just got to sit back and really take it in, really understand how impactful he is, He's great. Let's go to Jeff Green, actually, now. 16 points, 7 of 10 from the field, 2 of 3 from 3. This was a high-volume Jeff Green game, for for all intents and purposes. Not necessarily a a heavy minutes game. He only played 26. And to be clear, he still had three defensive rebounds, two assists. It wasn't like he impacted the box score in in a massive amount of ways, but there are only a certain amount of stats that you can actually get. And I thought that Jeff Green and his minutes filled his role. Absolutely did what he needed to do. He was a great backdoor option uh, on backdoor cuts for when Jokic was passing the ball. He leaked out in transition a couple times. And overall, he just hit the shots that he needed to hit. And him going two of three tonight from three, those are some big, big shots. He hit one in the corner. He hit one above the break. I don't remember the last time he hit an, he hit an above the break three. That's 
It's been a while since then. But it's great to see. Uh, Denver needed that little boost. Weren't necessarily going to be as efficient with everybody else. So having Jeff Green shoot 70% in this game, that is a great margin to be great on. And then he also defended Marcus Morris pretty well. Six of 16 for Marcus Morris. What is he doing? There's no reason for him to be doing what he was doing. It was crazy. Marcus Morris talking a lot of mess prior to this game. Aaron Gordon tonight, 16 points, 5 of 13 from the field, 7 rebounds, 6 assists, and 0 turnovers. He had a game with 7 turnovers a couple games ago. Last game against Jason Tatum, he really got roasted. Tonight, he was great. He defended Reggie Jackson. He defended Marcus Morris. He defended Amir Coffey. He defended Nicholas Batum. There was a lot of guys that he was matched up on. The only one where I could really nitpick about was him not closing out to Robert Covington, but I do think that his matchup got mixed up, and it wouldn't be surprised if there was just a little bit of a miscommunication there. But I do think that Aaron Gordon, Michael Malone said it best, when he is playing aggressive, when he's playing downhill, he's just a different animal. He's a different beast. And having 16, 7, and 6 in a game like this, and that be your second best stat line, that is a great thing. That is a fantastic thing. Zero turnovers is another thing too. He's just making good decisions with the basketball when he has it. And sure, he's not going to make all of the shots around the rim. I think Nuggets fans have a little bit spoiled with him when he's been finishing shots as well as he has. He missed a couple two-footers today, missed a couple three-footers today. But I think overall, he's just somebody that when he gets hit and when he engages into physical mode, he is going to be a burden for anybody really to deal with. And as long as he stays focused and committed there, I do think that he's going to be a big factor. He said that he wanted to be a factor on the offensive glass tonight, and him grabbing three rebounds. Uh, Denver only grabs six as a team, so him grabbing three def- or three offensive rebounds by himself is a really, really big deal. It actually earned Denver some great extra second chance points. So, really good stuff from him. Uh, nice bounce back after what was a really tough couple games there. Monte Morris, 15 points, 5 assists, 3 rebounds, 5 of 10 from the field, 3 of 3 from 3, 2 of 2 from the line, 0 turnovers. What a guy. <laughs> what, a, what an incredible basketball player. Monte Morris is just... There are very few things that you could ever complain about with Monte. And one of those is just something that he can't really control, and it's his size at times. He didn't have that impact him tonight. He had the defensive player of the game chain. After the game, he helped helped hold Reggie Jackson to 6 of 18 from the field, and it wasn't all him. And I, I know that there were some other guys that really helped out there, but Monte Morris has to be able to check some starting point guards on occasion. And I knew that heading into this matchup with the size that the Clippers had on the wing, Reggie Jackson was going to have to be the matchup for Monte. And also Luke Kennard was a matchup for him too, where Luke Kennard had eight points, three of nine from the field off the bench. Reggie Jackson, six of 18. He did a, or Monte did a great job of sticking to them. And then he just never makes a freaking mistake on the offensive end. It really is a sight to behold. So very impressed with him for obvious reasons. 
good bounce back game from him after a couple off ones. Uh, just fantastic player. And then finally, Will Barton. Look, Will's taken a lot of crap. Will has had a lot of tough moments. And those weren't completely over tonight. Like I thought that there were a couple times where he lost Nicholas Batum or he lost uh geez, Luke Kennard, Reggie or not not Reggie, Robert Covington, etc. There were a couple times where he got lost on defense. Was it over the top? No. Uh Terrence Mann, by the way, another guy who just a fantastic player that uh sometimes if you lose track of him, he is going to make a massive impact around the rim. But I do think that overall, Will Barton had a solid game. Definitely was probably the fifth most impactful starter. And that's okay, because when you've got the other four guys, you had 15 from Monte, you had 16 from Aaron Gordon, you had 16 points from Jeff, you had 30 from Nicola. 10 points from Will Barton on four of nine from the field, two of five from three, four rebounds, two assists, and then a steal. A steal that he got out and he set up Nikola Jokic for an open court dunk. That's great. I'll take that. I think everybody would take that. Sometimes he tries to go too hard. Sometimes he tries to do too much. Tonight he did it. There's no way he tried to do too much tonight. And does he make mistakes? Sure. So does everybody. So willing to give him the benefit of the doubt here. It's just nice to see him kind of have a, a nice, comfortable game where he doesn't have to do too much and looks pretty good doing it in that role. So when you have other guys step up and Will Barton has to take a kind of a step, a, a step back, if you will, fourth option, fifth option type of role, it can still be okay. And he hit a clutch three at the end, a dagger three, if you will. He hit another three throughout the game. He was a plus 16 as part of this lineup and wasn't necessarily the liability that everybody wants to make him out to be. So I am happy for Will. I think he deserves a little bit more positivity, I think. And I just hope that he can continue to stay on this kind of road here where it's going to be tough. And the Suns are coming in and he'll probably have to match up with Devin Booker and guys like that. That's going to be a really tough assignment. But I think that he's he's going to be okay as long as he stays physically healthy. I do think that once he locks in and fully locks in here, he'll look like a different player. That is a hope. That is a prayer. Um, I just want to give him credit for like being part of what was good for the Nuggets tonight. I think that's important. Let's take a break. When we come back, we are going to discuss the bench unit, and what we can learn from Bones freaking Highland. We'll be right back. But first, this podcast is brought to you by DraftKings Sportsbook. College basketball fans, join in on the action on the court during the biggest tournament of the year, the NCAA March Madness Tournaments. And do it with DraftKings Sportsbook, where you can turn your team's victory into your own big win. New customers can bet just $5 on any team to win, and get $200 free bets if they do. It's that simple. If they win, you win. DraftKings Sportsbook customers can also bet on college hoops with new same-game parlays where you combine multiple bets together from the same game for a bigger payout. I probably should have done that, betting on Gonzaga, despite the fact that it was looking a little shaky for them against Memphis. 
uh, over the weekend. But Gonzaga looks like a world beater right now. And I'm not sure that any team can can uh, compete with them. So bet on Chet Holmgren, bet on Drew Timmy, the big old mustache man. Combine multiple bets from the same game for a bigger payout. DraftKings is safe, secure, and reliable. You can deposit and withdraw your cash whenever you want. So make sure to download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use promo code MHS where you bet $5 on any college hoops team to win and get $200 in free bets if they do. If they win, you win with promo code MHS. Only at DraftKings Sportsbook. Must be 21 or older, Colorado only, new customers only, minimum $5 deposit, restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com sportsbook for details. Gambling problem call 1-800-522-4700. Jackson Roll, Ryan Blackburn here. Thank you so much, everybody, for tuning in. Really appreciate all the love and support on the program, on the podcast. If you can, it would be awesome if you could rate, review, and subscribe uh, as we continue to just grow the program. It's been it's been a fantastic thing. I'm going to go look at the uh, at the ratings and reviews right now. It's just fantastic, folks. I, I've uh, I've absolutely enjoyed doing this and, and want to continue doing it more. So. If you enjoy the pod, please uh, please let me know. All right, let's get into the bench unit now. Let's get into this. Uh, this unit wasn't necessarily perfect, but they did enough. Just here, here's the uh, the starters plus minus in a game that the Nuggets won by twelve. Nikola Jokic was a plus ten. Monte Morris was plus sixteen. Will Barton plus sixteen. Jeff Green plus nineteen, and Aaron Gordon plus twenty. So what that says to me was that in the minutes that Jokic and the bench guys really overlapped, it wasn't great. Pretty bad, actually. In the minutes where Jokic and the starters played, really good. Really, really freaking good. In the minutes where just the bench guys played with each other, that was pretty good, too. DeMarcus Cousins kind of represents that, where he is on the court for the majority of the all-bench minutes. And in his 14 minutes, he was a plus two. Let's start with DeMarcus Cousins, actually. Eight points, four of seven from the field, 0 of two from three tonight, but did grab five rebounds, two offensive. Had a absolute dime to the corner. Uh, he spun baseline away from a double team, threw, chucked the ball, just a fastball, underneath the basket, all the way out to the corner to hit Austin Rivers for a three. That was a very, very impressive pass and an impressive shot by Austin Rivers. And it just goes to show that sometimes when you have different places on the court where you can impact the game, with Bones, it's been at the top of the key. It's been on the wings. He's really done his best as kind of a dribble penetration guy, but also a floor spacing guy. Bryn Forbes can shoot it from anywhere above the three-point line. Austin Rivers goes to the rim. But with DeMarcus Cousins, you need to be paying attention to him anytime he gets near the paint. And the Clippers, they, they unless he was being harassed by one of the bigs, whether it was Zubach, whether it was Hartenstein, he was being double teamed pretty much consistently. And for whatever reason, the Clippers didn't learn their lesson from that. And Cousins only had two turnovers tonight, 
in his 14 minutes. It wasn't a great night, but Denver had nine as a team. So that's a really good sign. Cousins was a good facilitator. He was a good playmaker and really helped make a difference for the entire rest of the group. But the real story is Bones, right? Bones is the guy that whenever the lights are brightest, whenever he gets an opportunity to shine, he does not pass it up. For whatever reason, he is just an absolute killer in these moments. 18 minutes, scores 16 points on 6 of 8 from the field, 4 of 6 from 3, 2 of 2 from the two uh, from two-point range. That's one thing that I always pay attention to with him, because sometimes he can get pretty three-point shot happy. But if he stays efficient on the twos, I'm okay with that. You just got to find the right times to slash, the right times to get into the lane. And he did. But more than anything, when you have a player like him who can pull up from anywhere, where teams go under the screen, where teams get caught on the screen and give him some space, you have him on a switch and he isolates Semi-Ogele right at the right at the end of the first quarter. Bones is just a killer, and he continues to prove that. He has been Denver's most consistent bench player for the past two months. That's insane. That is an insane thing to say. He's like 21. He's a rookie. He's coming off of a like a two-year college season where it's been marred by COVID for most of the time. And he's just continuing to get better. For whatever reason, he's taken an in-season leap. It became pretty clear about two weeks ago, I think. Then he had the breakout in Philly. Then he continued to play well. Even against Boston, he was the only bright spot, really, in in what was a very dark time. And now you have tonight. He just continues to shoot and make everything right now. I think somebody posted his true shooting percentage since the post-All-Star break. It's like over 64. Like, that's Steph Curry territory. That is some of the most efficient shooting that we've seen from a long time. And he's doing it as a rookie in this stretch. He has saved the Nuggets on a number of occasions. And him being able to provide an efficient 16 points, daring the defense to come out and challenge him even more, even more, that has helped open up the court for Boogie, for Bryn Forbes, and for Austin Rivers. As electric as as Bones Highland has been, Austin Rivers is the guy that I think of when I think, okay, stability. Somebody who is going to give Denver exactly what they need at the right time. And boy, did Austin Rivers do that tonight too. 11 points, 4 of 6 from the field, 3 of 5 from 3. Shooting the three-point ball pretty well right now. And there was one shot that I was like, "Ah, I don't know about that. It was where right before he got taken out of the game when he overlapped with the starters, took like an early 18 seconds on the shot clock kind of shot. But for the most part, Rivers has just been in his lane entirely, doing exactly what he needs to do. He was a minus 12 in the plus minus tonight. I didn't feel that. I felt like he was doing some good things. And there were some things around him that kind of went awry. I wouldn't necessarily put his minus 12 at his fault in this game. It will look like that. And I know I'll probably sound like a hypocrite to Faku fans and things like that. But I do think that Austin Rivers made a very massive impact tonight off the bench, where 
Denver could have gone through some pretty tough droughts because Bones is only one player and Boogie wasn't hitting his outside shots. Jermichael Green went 0 of 3. Bryn Forbes, kind of up and down with Bryn Forbes right now. But Rivers, in his all his glory, has found a way to stay functional and stay stay effective in a lot of different ways. And there was one play where I'm pretty sure it was Luke Kennard. It might have been Terrence Mann, but I think it was Luke Kennard, where he got under the rim. Rivers stayed disciplined, stayed on the ground, made sure to hold his ground. And then once the shot went up, Rivers just swats it. And he recovers the rebound, tries to get out onto the fast break. And then Robert Covington kind of clotheslines him, trying to stop the fast break and take a take foul. It was a little bit weird. I called it the takedown foul on Twitter today. But Rivers is just making those plays. And he continues to make those plays within the grand scheme of things and while also doing some good things offensively. He's just functional. He has just proven to be very functional for what the Nuggets need. And whether it's defense one night, whether it's playmaking like tonight where he had three assists, had one to Jokic that was very important, or whether it's floor spacing where he has 11 points on four of six from the field and three of five from three. That's pretty good. That's about all you can really expect, and it's all you should need. Denver put up 127 tonight. They were on fire offensively. And Austin Rivers was a big reason why with the second unit. Jamichael Green, not the most noteworthy night tonight. I don't think that his matchup was very good. Uh, Robert Covington, when he's out there, sometimes they had him as the four. Sometimes they actually had him as the five. They played some some funny lineups tonight where Zubac only played 17. Hartenstein only played 40 or 24. So they had 41 minutes of center play. And then there were seven minutes, I think, of Robert Covington at the five. So I do think that against traditional lineups, Jamichael Green has proven to be really good. And DeMarcus Cousins has proven to be really good as well. Where as long as you have a relatively functional team on the other side where they're not necessarily like nothing's really too weird. Jamichael Green and, and DeMarcus Cousins are going to be very, very good. Tonight, it wasn't great. I thought that Jamichael Green gave a couple too many fouls, wasn't necessarily the most effective on the offensive glass, though he did try to crash it on several occasions. The Clippers, they only gave up six offensive rebounds tonight. Something I mentioned before, Cousins got two, Aaron Gordon got three, Jokic got one. But the Clippers are very good. They're very smart. They took Denver out of what they usually try to do on the offensive end with the bench unit. And that's just send a bunch of people to the offensive glass and beat people up. That didn't really happen tonight. And Denver had to find other ways. Bones Highland really bailed them out. And that's great. That's what he's supposed to do at this, not not necessarily at this stage, but that's what he's going to do at the NBA level, I think, is he's going to be a functional point guard in a lot of different ways, but there's also going to be the side of him where he's just bailing people out. And tonight he bailed out Jamichael Green and DeMarcus Cousins, and that's great. You need him to do that on, to- on sometimes. Finally, Bryn Forbes. I asked my colleague Matt Moore whether he thought that Bryn Forbes or Davon Reed would play tonight. I think if Michael Malone did it over, he might choose Davon Reed. Just because what the 
what the Clippers were able to do size-wise when they had Terrence Mann out there, they had Luke Kennard, and they had Brandon Boston. They had some guys that were like pretty small, but also just very functional in how they were used on the court. I think that Davon Reed might have been a better player to match up with them just a little bit. However, Bryn Forbes hits a three, has a couple assists, and in his limited time was only a minus two. You'll take that in a time where the starters are plus double digits. That's great. That's perfectly fine. The lowest plus minus was Austin Rivers at minus 12. Again, there was some overlap there that was weird, but I'm not really concerned about it. I do think that the Nuggets are okay. There's definitely nothing wrong about uh, being a minus 12 when you have other guys on the team that are plus 19, plus 20, etc. So we're just going to have to see how it plays out. But I do think that this this felt like a good win, right? This felt like a cathartic win where you get the monkey off your back from the Celtics game, the bench plays well, the starters play well, and now you can really prepare for a team in Phoenix where they are, I mean, let's face it, they're the best team in the league. You just played the Celtics, so you know what to expect, I think, from a team like the Suns. They are going to be a little bit different functionally, but in terms of talent level, execution, etc., they are one of the best teams, if not the best team in the NBA right now even though they don't have Chris Paul. So Denver's going to need to be effective. They're going to need to be efficient. And I trust that they will be. But this game was a really good sign, I think. So let's take a break. When we come back, we're going to talk about how amazing it is of the things that change in about 24 to 48 hours. We'll be right back. back final segment pickaxe and roll thank you so much everybody for tuning in amazing what things change after 48 hours where man denver was in the doldrums they were just absolutely despondent after what was a blowout loss at the hands of the boston celtics where the entire starting lineup got benched that's a that's a telling thing that they're in game 72 of the season the 10 games left And Michael Malone felt the need to bench his starters for poor effort and execution. That's a bad sign. And then you take a break, you recover, take a day off, get back into the lab, and you get back out on the court tonight on national TV and deliver a fantastic performance. 127-115 over the Clippers. Jokic looks like the MVP again. The starters look like they're functional. And... You just play a very solid game. Denver only lost. Oh, no, they didn't lose any quarter. They won the first quarter by 10. They won the second quarter by one. They tied the third quarter and they won the fourth quarter by one. There were some runs in the middle there that got things closer or further away. But overall, Denver's, uh, they, they were just solid. They were very, very solid. And, and here's why it matters so much that they're able to bounce back in this regard. The Nuggets are now 43 and 30. They have 73 games played, nine left to go. The Minnesota Timberwolves are the same, but the Nuggets are now the sixth seed. Remember we were talking about how the Nuggets were the seventh seed? 
back on the last podcast? Well, now the Nuggets are the sixth seed, and they have a full game advantage over the T-Wolves after the T-Wolves lose to the Dallas Mavericks on Monday night. The T-Wolves are 42-31. and Now, they have the tiebreaker over Denver, so it really is just a kind of a half game advantage that Denver has right now, because if the T-Wolves tie the Nuggets in record, then they're actually ahead. But because of the loss and then Denver's win, the Nuggets now have outright control of the six seed. Their magic number is nine with nine games left to go. So if Denver wins out, they're in no matter what. If the T-Wolves slip up, like hypothetically, let's say, I don't know, they they maybe lose a game to the Phoenix Suns on Wednesday night when you're listening to this podcast. The Suns and the T-Wolves play on Wednesday. The Nuggets and the Suns play on Thursday. The Suns will be on a back-to-back. Whether they give it their all on a back-to-back or if they're a little bit tired, uh, or if they decide to take it a little bit easier on Minnesota and then go hard against Denver, I don't know. In all likelihood, they'll probably win both games because they're a freaking juggernaut. But the T-Wolves have a tough schedule. They have one of the toughest schedules left in the entire league. And I'm just here to say that it's very possible that the Nuggets just get the six seed outright because the T-Wolves have such a tough, tough, tough schedule. Good Lord. Their next five games, Phoenix, Dallas, at Boston at Toronto, at Denver. That's a tough road. And if they go two and three during that stretch, the Nuggets might be able to lock it up as long as they take care of business themselves. But we're going to have to see. We are going to have to see how it works. I am very curious to see whether the T-Wolves can bounce back in a big way after losing to the Mavericks. But we'll see. Amazing how other things change within a small span of time. There was a weird Jamal Murray and Michael Porter update by Chris Haynes, who who works for TNT. He works for Yahoo Sports, but he does in-arena stuff for TNT as an an insider. He said, and I quote, Michael Porter Jr. is behind Jamal Murray in terms of his rehab schedule. And he believes after what he's heard, what what his sources are telling him, that Michael Porter Jr. is behind where Jamal Murray is within the schedule, but that the Nuggets will sort of let Jamal Murray and, and Michael Porter take the lead on when they're actually coming back, that they're not really close right now, and that there's a very strong possibility that they don't play this year. Now, let's run through that step by step here. MPJ is behind Jamal, is sort of running counter to everything that's leaked prior to this point, everything that's been sourced prior to this point. I don't really know where he got this. I really don't. Now, it's Chris Haynes. Chris Haynes knows better than I do. I have no doubt that he could probably have texted Will Barton and asked him, hey, so what's going on with these guys? And Will might have told him. Or it's just somebody else within the organization or an agent or somebody else that I, yeah, maybe we heard different info is where I'm mostly going with this. 
but it just seems odd. And it's a very odd timing after everything that's come out about Murray maybe not being here in time, after everything about like Michael Malone saying that those guys aren't close, that they're not ready for an immediate return. There's just a lot of stuff moving around right now. A lot, a lot of stuff. Now, Murray and MPJ taking the lead on things and only when they feel good is when they'll come back. Part of that rings true. I think it certainly rings true for Murray. From what I understand, Michael Porter feels pretty good and he'd like to come back. He does not want to be labeled as an injury bust. Somebody who is an injury prone forward who signed a max contract and is made of glass. He doesn't want to be labeled that way. He wants to get back on the court and prove otherwise. But whether he actually does is still up to the Nuggets, I think. I don't know if it's up to Michael Porter at this point. We're going to have to see. What do I make of this? What what does anybody make of this? I don't really know. I and many others had reason to believe that Michael Porter would be back this week. I stand by that. I, I don't believe that I was lied to on that. And I think that there's a lot of other people that you can point to around Nuggets Media that feel the same way. Plans change, though. And perhaps there were some developments that really started to change and alter the plan. Maybe he still comes back this week. We've kind of thought for a long time here that maybe the OKC Thunder game on Saturday, after playing the Suns, don't necessarily have to deal with national TV games or anything like that. Maybe that's the best time to bring him back. It might not be. It might just be wishful thinking on my regard. Maybe his return is still tied to Jamal Murray's return. More than we previously thought. Where because Jamal Murray looks like he's a little bit slowed down here, perhaps the wording that Chris Haynes is using is a new change in kind of stance from the Nuggets, from whoever, that you don't necessarily want to put Porter out there without Jamal. I'm not surprised by that. I think that there has probably been some sort of reckoning within the Nuggets front office or organization that, hey, we sort of know who we are at this point without these two guys. It's probably not good enough. Even if these two guys in Murray and Porter come back at 70%, 80%, whatever the whatever the number is, it's possible that those guys don't make a difference. And Denver could still lose in the first round to a team like the Memphis Grizzlies or Golden State Warriors or Utah Jazz, whoever. I'm not surprised that things have kind of gone this way. It sucks. It's very disappointing. I would have loved to see Jamal Murray back. Would have loved to see Michael Porter back. We haven't been told definitively that they're not coming back. So there's always sort of the chance and sort of the the thing hanging over everybody's head that maybe they do come back. So I'm not going to rule anything out here. I'm not going to say definitively one way or the other how this is going to go. What I will say is that there's there certainly seems to be some momentum going the other direction, going towards sitting, shutting it down, not necessarily trying too hard. Jamal Murray was working out 
before the game today doing a very light shooting workout. He wasn't really jumping on his shots. He wasn't really doing anything massively special. He did shoot some half quarters and made some of them and looked pretty good doing it. But for a long time there, he wasn't really doing anything athletic. And that's not really a great sign. You want to see him ramping up. Because if I don't see it, then I sort of have to rely on other people's opinions on it. I'm just not sure I trust anybody at this point, given how the situation has gone. So, we will see. We will see how this goes. I can't definitively predict it one way or the other. I think if I were to handicap it now, I do think that something has changed. And I think it's more likely that Jamal does not come back at all. And that Michael Porter still comes back, I think, with about five to eight games left to go. And they try to play him just a little bit, see how he goes. I still think he comes back. But that would run contrary to Chris Haynes' report, and I don't necessarily feel great about it anymore. So, look, it is what it is. I'll I'll do some asking around, I'll do some digging, try to figure some things out. But I don't know if I'm going to find anything, because it it certainly feels like the the breadcrumbs have been laid in, in completely different directions over the course of these past couple months. Finally here, is Nikola Jokic still the MVP? I do think that tonight's game went a long way. Playing on national TV, Joel Embiid just sat out the previous game. Giannis played really well tonight against the Chicago Bulls, no doubt about that. Did have nine turnovers, but still was a plus 25 in a game over the Chicago Bulls where they just blew out Chicago. No chance. They also don't have anybody to match up with him, so it's not really a surprise that he or that he really dominated but it does sort of seem like with Jokic's position kind of crystallizing here both Embiid and Giannis are deserving winners i think that there's no doubt about that but when you watch what's going on with Denver over the course of these past couple of weeks and how tired everybody is how much it's on Jokic's shoulders on the most part He has been the best and most consistent player in the NBA this year. That's my opinion. It's very possible that I'm wrong. But I just look at this and think, man, his case is really, really rock solid. As long as the wins stay similar for the Nuggets, Bucks, and Sixers. And right now, the Nuggets have 43 wins. The Bucks have 45. The Sixers have 44. So they're all kind of in the same tier. I know there are other people that there are other teams that could jump up, could jump down. And I know that the Bucks are second in the East. I think that the Sixers are third. Nuggets are sixth. So that's kind of a, a visually different thing for this race. But I do think that if Denver can stick it through, if they go, let's say, seven and two the rest of the way, which I think is possible, by the way. If they get like 50 wins, then I think it's Jokic's award to lose. I think it would be really hard for the Bucs, for the Sixers, for whoever to really match up with that when Denver's had to deal with what they've had to deal with this year. You take away Murray, you take away Porter, and you still get to 50 wins. 
That is incredible. That is a, a very, very impressive achievement. Now, if it's more like 48 and 34, 49 and 33, the Bucks and Sixers will be a little bit better than that in all likelihood by the end of the year. I don't know. I don't know what's going to ultimately happen, but I do think that if you ask around, there's a lot of people that are on Jokic's side of this whole debate. And if you're looking for the margin here, I think Jokic has it over what Giannis and Embiid are doing. I think they have been so similar in a variety of things that they've done, from the scoring, from the physicality, from the defense. But Jokic just provides a different layer of passing and carrying the team in ways that those guys haven't done. Embiid has James Harden. Embiid has Tyrese Maxey, Tobias Harris. that have all stepped up at various points and really helped out. Matisse Thybul has won them games with his defense. That's incredible. Giannis has Drew Holiday and Chris Middleton. Chris Middleton made the All-Star game. He may not have been deserving, but he made it. Drew Holiday should have made the All-Star game. He didn't. Those guys have been there to bolster Giannis for much of the season. I know that they missed some time, but look, hard to have any sympathy when Murray has missed 73 games and Porter has missed 64. That is 137 out of 146 possible games. That's a lot. And it's two very, very good players. So I think what Denver has done, what Jokic has done, is going to stand up. But we're going to find out. We're going to find out very quickly. And things could shift in these last 9 to 10 games here. And if Denver drops down to the play-in, Jokic's chances probably drop for sure. It's an artificial thing, but it is going to happen. If they stay at the top six, maybe outside chance moving to five, then there's something there for them too. And Jokic, it would be just one of the greatest seasons of all time. <laughs> it would be just a freaking nuts season. So I'm rooting for it. I hope it happens. We will have to see. But for now, that is going to do it for this episode of Pickaxe and Roll, brought to you by DraftKings Sportsbook, America's top-rated sportsbook app. I will be back tomorrow going to chat with somebody on this Nuggets team and where they kind of go from here. Maybe talk about the Phoenix Suns just a little bit and Denver's place in the West. Thank you so much, everybody, for tuning in. Appreciate all the love and support. Talk to you guys very soon.